Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me, as always, on Thursday mornings now is Dwayne Genelissimo Patterson of the Hugh Hewitt Show. And uh, Dwayne, nothing's going on. We're, we've got 30 minutes to fill, and my goodness, absolutely nothing's going on, Dwayne. How do you guys do it on the Hugh Hewitt Show? Uh, I think we talked about that last night to open up um, uh, the after show. I, I, I think uh, I think I said uh, there was nothing going on. I have no idea how we're going to fill the time, but uh, you know, glad that you were along because you can help fill time better than anybody else I know. Um, it's um, it's kind of remarkable what's uh, what's what's going on in the news right now. I mean, set aside the foreign policy stuff, which nobody here cares about because we're not in war yet, but. Uh, you look at you look at the uh, domestic intrigue around the Supreme Court uh, nomination, or you look at the inflation numbers, or you look at um, at uh, how Joe Biden is comporting himself in in some of the polling. Um, I know we're going to talk about John Harris, our friend over at uh, Politico, who um, seems to long for the days where we had kind of a sparky, foul-mouthed president. Uh, it's just all sorts of fun stuff to be had today. Uh, yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and of course, the Supreme Court nomination, all that kind of stuff. Or not nomination, but opening, I guess we should say. We don't know, we don't know yet what the nomination is going to be, but we're pretty sure that we know what the ballpark on that one's going to be. And there's a we poll kinda, in Georgia. We kind of we kind of know who it is if if this White House has even a modicum of common sense. Even even a modicum yeah. of common sense. We we know who it's gonna be. And it's going to be kind of a nothing burger. It's, 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 it's going to be a uh, a fairly easy confirmation uh, process, a fairly uh, expedient one. Although Susan Collins kind of you know hit the tap on the brakes a little bit today, which we can talk about. Um, but it, it's there's not going to be this big DC drama. It's not going to be Brett Kavanaugh, you know, 2.0. No, it's not even going to be Neil Gorsuch. It's not even going to be Amy Coney Barrett. This is nothing that's going to change the the balance of the court. Republicans really don't have any options to stop it anyway. But a new poll out of Georgia tells us that Joe Biden is really going to stick to his <laughs> really going to stick to his campaign promise to nominate a black female. Um, I guess we can start off with this poll. It's it's probably the the, the newsiest of the th of the three stories, uh, and it will lead us into a couple of the other topics that we want to get into. A new poll from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution shows that Joe Biden has gone from 51% approval in Georgia in May to 33% <laughs> approval in Georgia, and that black voter um, approval of Joe Biden, or disapproval, I should say, uh, black voter disapproval of Joe Biden has actually quadrupled uh, in that uh, in that same time period, this is what they're calling both yeah, a meltdown remember, and a cliff. <laughs> yeah, you remember when Joe Biden went down to Atlanta on uh, Martin Luther King Day to give a speech with with uh, Kamala Harris and and it was going to but be, not with Stacey Abrams, but not but not with Stacey Abrams, <laughs> which is a point that's going to or, come up or here. Virtually or or virtually any black advocacy group or any left-wing advocacy group that was down there. I mean, and again, you know, this is Stacey Abrams who is, you know, running for re-election as governor of Georgia. Well, you know, if you ask her anyway, um, but this is her signature issue is the voting rights stuff, right? This right. is, this is what she, this is what her, her big thing to run on is. And the president of her party comes to her state when she is in, a an active campaign for governor and the president comes to town to support her and her issue and does a national speech on it and she's nowhere to be seen because she's got a scheduling conflict well now we know why <laughs> well now we know yeah why. the scheduling conflict is the, the scheduling conflict is you know 33 percent in in uh in some polls 37 in others and then you've you've got this poll here she she's Spe very attuned to, to, to poll driven data and specific to Georgia in this particular case. Uh, now, that's specific to Georgia in this case, that that speech that we're talking about took place in Atlanta in, on January 18th. That was smack in the middle of this polling cycle uh, for this poll that was conducted by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which I would emphasize is not exactly a bastion of conservative thought in, in Georgia. Um, this one puts. Um, 62% uh, of voters disapproving of his performance. Um, it's a. Um, uh, it, it you gets... can't tell me. 
Right. You can't tell me the Abrams campaign was not aware of some of this data right. going into this with, but, with their own internals. But but you have Biden going down there to try to rescue his standing, right? Especially among black voters. And the net result of this, of course, we don't know what the day-to-day -day polling is on this, but the net result of this from having this thing right in the middle of the polling cycle is that in May, only about 8% of black voters disapproved of Biden's performance. That number has more than quadrupled in AJC's latest poll, which found disapproval among black Georgians at 36%. 36%. Uh, I don't remember the last Democrat that had a, that even had really you. significant double digit disapproval, let alone more than a third uh, of, of this particular demo. This is this is disaster. No, I mean, I mean, I mean not, yeah, I mean, not not to not to be uh, over melodramatic, but I mean, you're going back into the 60s to get back to that kind of levels. Right. Right. right I mean, yes. you're, you're getting you're getting into Dixiecrat time stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and by the way, this has had an impact on the overall um, overall Georgia uh, political uh, 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 cast as well. Kemp versus Abrams in this poll, which is a rematch from 2018. Right. Kemp is up 7.3 uh, points over Abrams. Now, um, that's th outside margin of error. It is outside margin of error. David Perdue, who is primarying uh, Kemp, uh, is also leading Abrams, although it's much narrower, 3.9%, which is within which is the within margin of error. Margin of but, error, yeah. And I, I think there's also, um, isn't it like really tight? Kemp is, is like ahead of, no, it's not It's not that tight. Kemp's ahead of... Um, of um uh former senator um david purdue purdue by by what 10 uh, 10 12 points or something yeah i think i haven't i haven't looked at that one in the primary I, I haven't looked at that one recently right but yes yes and um and so this is i mean this this poll here this is a state that let's not forget joe biden narrowly won he got 49 percent in a handful uh, of the of the vote in 2020 against Donald Trump, and he's at 33 percent now in in this poll. You've got another the one, that, the, the one that surprised me in that in that poll, if I remember right. I'm I'm just going off the top of my head now. The the one that surprised me is that it's got Herschel Walker up over Raphael Warnock, but only by like a point or something like that. Is this that right? that's actually a different poll. In this poll, Warnock is ahead of Walker, but only by three and a half points. You know, so that's still, uh, you know, within the statistical, uh, you know, statistical tie area. So it's tight. I actually, I think what both of those polls show is that Warnock might be a little tougher to beat than Republicans initially thought in Georgia. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. However. And this is something I mentioned in, at, at Hot Air. You're, that assumption, and, and this poll probably as well, is based on an assumption of a normal turnout cycle. What happens when you have a red wave where there's massive discontent with Joe Biden, where a third of black voters in Georgia are dissatisfied with Joe Biden? They're not exactly going to be thundering to the polls. Uh, to, to vote for Raphael Warnock, right? When, exactly. when Joe Biden is 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 perceived to be hosing them, right? Right. Well, the turnout models in a wave election are usually significantly different, and that's what that's what this is shaping up to be. So I'd say that any comfort that Warnock is taking in in these polling results should be tempered with a very large grain of salt. Um, but if I was Stacey Abrams, you know, <laughs> I'd be. I'd be I'd be even more panicked, maybe looking for a way out of of what is looking to be an absolute tsunami against Democrats in Georgia. I mean, this is this is big time bad stuff for Democrats. This this poll is especially when you consider the source. It's it's not good. And it's all Biden driven. This is all Biden driven. He's he's absolutely. Uh, I mean, the collapse is so, just massive here. So. So when Joe Biden now follows that up with a trying to keep a promise that my Supreme Court nominee is going to be a black female, the, the, the question is, is that going to be perceived by this same base that is, is reflective in this polling? Is that just going to be perceived as pandering and they're not buying it? Or is this his, is this his way back to to bring in African-Americans back into the Democratic fold. Let me, let me posit a third option here, because I think that this is where, where I'm sort of landing on this. That's perceived now as minimum, minimum expectations 
I don't think he gets brownie points for nominating Katanji Brown Jackson or or Leander Kruger. I don't Kruger. think he does either. But he gets massive. He but he gets massive problems if he doesn't, and that's what the problem is. He's already set the expectation with black voters that his next nominee, that the next nominee to the Supreme Court is going to be a black woman. If he doesn't deliver on that, <laughs> that thirty done. <clears throat> absolutely done. They just walk away at that point, and they can't. Biden can't afford that, and that's the reason why Jen Psaki got up yesterday. He said, "Oh yeah, no, no, no. We're we're going to we're going to honor that promise, and it's not going to be Kamala Harris. Stop talking about Kamala Harris. Uh, she's our running mate in in 2020 or 2024. You know that's that's uh, they can't afford to do anything else other than that, Dwayne. It just it will. It, 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 and again, you and I talked about this a little bit last night. Uh, I'm not here to demean the capabilities or qualities or qualifications of uh, Judge." Um, Judge Jackson here, uh, Judge Brown Jackson here. The the thing about her though is how is how is she going to feel if she and when she gets on the Supreme Court, knowing that the primary that the, the primary focus of why she is on that court is because of the color of her skin and and her gender rather than her her merits. Of well, her, and, and that's what makes this that's that what's, that's what makes this unfair to the nominee too. I mean and. and it's that type of it's that type of condescension i think that is long term corrosive but i think short term politically uh it paid off for biden and uh now i think he's stuck and he just does not that not that he wasn't going to do it anyway i i i don't think any of us expected any differently you have some people saying oh but well it, you know it, an asian an asian american pacific islander would also make history you take a look at this poll and there's no way they're picking anybody else other than a black female they can't afford to renege on this promise now but even going all the way back to the campaign promise the pandering men should not have been necessary if you've if, if, right. if you are Right. I mean, because yeah, there's I mean, ways to do this. Right? Well, I mean, I mean I, there's no, I, ways to do this. I agree with I, you. I want, to, is... I want to see a Supreme Court that looks as diverse as, as the rest of the country without getting into specifics. When the opening comes up, then you say something like, uh, I, you know, I'm going to pick somebody that is the most perfectly qualified person for our time, for our station as a nation, and looking looking towards the future. You are going to be very pleased with the with the person I'm going to come up with, and you leave it at that. That way, you don't stereotype and pigeonhole the nominee that you're going to be putting in there, and and demeaning her capabilities by saying, well. She's first and foremost. She's a she, and second, she's black. Well, okay, that's just that's just ham-handed politics. No, no, I don't disagree with you, Dwayne. I, I mean, I really don't disagree with you on this. But the the I mean, that's Democrats' politics at the moment. He was he was stuck with that. I guess you could right. you could say, and therefore he walked himself he, he walked himself rhetorically into a Netterbox Canyon on right, this. Right. Now he's stuck. He's he's going to have to deliver on this promise. That's what that's what the upshot right. of this poll is for the Supreme Court nomination. Agreed. And and Republicans, I mean, as long as he's not, not nominating Stacey Abrams, maybe his her sister, uh, Leslie Abrams Gardner, who's a uh, you know district court judge in Florida, I believe it is, uh, could certainly be a candidate and would be qualified. Um, don't forget, you don't have to be you don't have to have been a judge to be on the Supreme Court. Elena Kagan was Solicitor General and never did serve as a judge before she uh, joined the court. I mean, literally, you don't even have to be a lawyer. Although, good luck getting that one through a Congress of any kind, especially a Congress filled right. with lawyers. But, um, but the, um, but you know, he, he's got qualified candidates, and as long as the candidate is at least qualified and not a lunatic, Republicans aren't going to turn this into a meltdown situation because there's no point to it there's no they don't have any they this isn't changing the balance of the court there's really no point in making this into a a a massive fight when mitch mcconnell is not mitch mcconnell is not as stupid politically as chuck schumer is remember chuck schumer had the ability to not die on this hill with with Neil Gorsuch when the Neil Gorsuch pick was not going to change the ideological makeup of the court, right? Right, exactly. At at the time. And at that time, the filibuster rule was still such that it still took a 60-vote majority 
to be able to seat a Supreme Court justice. Now, Harry Reid had broken the filibuster rule for circuit courts and district court judges and 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 uh, executive nominations, but for Supreme Courts, that was a carve out that uh, Harry Reid tried to preserve. Well, when Neil Gorsuch came along and the Republicans, uh, Republican president, Donald Trump had a chance with a Republican Senate to put through a Supreme Court pick. Um, all of a sudden, Chuck Schumer started to say, we're going to filibuster this justice and not even let you proceed to the pick because he wanted to get even for um, for Merrick Garland. And instead of being politically astute and looking forward a couple steps, he decided to uh, you know pull this stunt and Mitch McConnell and Republicans said, fine. We owe you. We owe you in kind anyway, and so we're going to blow up the filibuster and and make it a complete blow up on on this, and that's why you now have Neil Gorsuch as uh, Supreme Court uh, Supreme Court Justice, along with Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Right. Um, Mitch McConnell is not that politically daft. He's not that stupid. He's not going to charge up this hill to try to defeat a a black female. When you've got polling that Mitch McConnell sees and every other Republican sees that African-Americans are uh, showing enough discontent with this president, not just in Georgia, but nationwide, along with Hispanics and other uh, minority groups. If you've got people coming your way, why pick a fight with a black female nominee when you don't have to, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna affect anything. Now, now Dwayne, not gonna do that. I, I, I have to disagree because Joe Biden has gotten maybe the best political advice you could possibly get from the media in the form of John Harris's column this morning at Politico. <laughs> and, and we like John Harris a lot. I, you know, I, I do. Actually... I'm, I, I, I don't mean to. I, I mean, John Harris writes some very entertaining I mean, stuff. Sometimes it's pretty smart. This is not one of those times. This is not one of those times. This is John Harris. It's it, it's pretty hysterical. As much as the media, the, the the Beltway bubble, got the vapors every time Donald Trump opened up his uh, uh, opened up his trap and and said uh, something. Pointed pointed to the back of the room when he was doing his rallies at, at the at the cameras in the background and calling him the enemy of the people and all, you know, all, all sorts the, of all insults. the stuff that all the insults, all the, all the, all the demeaning names. It was the end of the Republic. It was the end yes. of the Republic. We needed to yes. restore the norms. We needed to restore comedy. We needed to restore dignity in the, <laughs> well, Jim Acosta with maybe. his microphone from a, from a GOP rally or, or from a Trump rally, you know, you know, saying, you know, you know, I, I, I'm worried about my I'm worried about my life here. I'm, I'm I'm fearful for my life. I'm 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 doing this for the cause, um, because you know these people are going to kill me because Trump is getting them all riled up. Uh, people at a Trump rally could care less about Jim Acosta. They'll boom. They'll give him a hard time, but they think he's a clown. You know that they they don't. There was never that kind of drama uh, that Jim Acosta was building up. But as much as the media got just totally wee-weed up because of all these insults that Donald Trump hurled at him to have John Harris now say, well, you know what we need? We need Joe Biden to kind of be a little more Trumpy towards, um, towards right-wing media. Not towards, just a little more people. Trumpy, not just a little bit more Trumpy. I mean, he's saying, you know, pardon the language here, but I, you know, they've got an asterisk out, but John Harris wants Biden to engage in shit talk at reporters yes. and, and his political opponents. Now, bear in mind, this comes, what, just uh, eight days after this demagogic meltdown of a speech in Georgia, which even Dick Durbin had to distance himself from. Uh, so, I mean, first off. Uh, well, eight days after that, but but what? Four days after what? He, uh, calling uh, uh, P, uh, well, yeah, Peter Ducey a stupid well, son of a bitch. Yeah, the Peter Ducey thing is actually the catalyst for this, right? I mean, this right. was the whole encounter, including Ducey's genial refusing to get all huffy about Biden's flash of huffiness, was in its own way quite winning. It's also a reminder of how many memorable Biden moments feature casual profanities. A casual profanity or bursts of authentic emotion amid the pervasive phoniness of contemporary politics. <laughs> who did that? Who did the, the, the Ducey episode? Who did that win to his side? 
I mean, I don't know that it won or lost anybody. I mean, it was just sort of a nothing burger. I, I thought I thought Hannity and Ducey treated it exactly the way it should be treated as just something to be, you know, just an amusement, uh, you know, a sideshow. Absolutely. If if uh, if the White House perceived this the same way John Harris perceived this, then why did Joe Biden make the phone call to Peter Ducey that night to say, well, you know, it's just business, pal, it's nothing personal. Why, why did he even make the call? Um, I guess to complete the authenticity loop. I don't know what to tell you. I actually think the call was a good idea. Um, I think it would have been better if he'd well, actually I, apologized, I, but I think the call was a good well, idea. I, but I agree with you on both points, but I'm saying if John Harris is actually offering astute political advice here, then he and the progressives should actually be up more upset at Biden for walking away from it and and trying to do a cleanup by by calling him and, and yeah. sort of apologizing. No, I think it's a great point, but I mean, th there's another there's another big issue. There's a b much bigger issue with John Harris's advice, which is you know to get well. Biden needs to express that authenticity by cursing people out and insulting. And first off, there, there's actually a number of problems with this. First off, that's what Donald Trump did for four years, and everybody everybody you know was doing pearl clutching the entire time over mean tweets. I mean, I didn't like them either, and I would prefer a president who uh, can, can can at least modulate that so that you're not throwing right. that st – yeah, because that was his problem in the one crisis. Of, he didn't modulate it. That's the reason why he lost one, the election. One of the, one of the reasons that Donald Trump lost is especially in that first debate and largely how he comported himself on Twitter and, and other public venues as rallies. He turned off um, elderly and he turned off um, suburban moms by and yep. large. And yep. there's a lot of suburban moms that said, I will never vote for that man again because he's a jerk. And so John Harris's recipe and, and those people largely voted for Joe Biden because they hated Trump and Trump turned them off and repelled them. And so they came to Joe Biden's side. So John Harris's RX now for Joe Biden to, to get his mojo back is to act in the very same way, which is going to be repellent to that same group of people that floated from Trump back over to Biden. Yeah, doesn't make any sense at all. This is Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And and that's assuming, of course, that Joe Biden is lucid enough, often enough. To be able to hold that, to be able to hold that thing, which we know is not the case. Yeah, let's, right? let, let's see this clip from, this is from yesterday, right? This is just from yesterday. So John Harris likes this sparky Joe Biden where he's, he's at least sharp, right? He's, he's, he's on his game. And when he hears something he doesn't like, he barks at somebody, but at least it's showing that he's got authority when he barks at somebody, right? Yeah. Well, here is Joe Biden in full authority of his fa uh, mental faculties. But uh, um, I might point out, you're, uh, when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It, it, uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up in uh, your new EV factory and uh, that, uh, that Hummer. You see... When he finally got to the point where he was talking about Hummers, uh, it made me it made me think. Well, maybe he he might nominate Kamala Harris after all. <laughs> Be careful, Dwayne. Oh, did, careful, oh, did careful. I say that out loud? Did careful, I say careful, that out careful. loud? Yeah. Um, oh, getting, I'm not going to go any further than that. Getting getting back to the point. First off, Hummers aren't made at Ford plants, right? That's a GM. Aren't Hummers GM? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you typically don't find those at, at, at a Dearborn Ford plant. You typically no, don't. No, not unless not unless somebody's driving the competition. But but beyond this, a call for Biden to express his authenticity overlooks the fact that Biden is an authentic asshole. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I know we're PG-13 at this point. You started it, Dwayne. But um, <laughs> hey, but, hey, I. I did not use one of the seven bad words. I just simply, if, if, you, if you troll around the inner tubes enough, if you troll around the interwebs, you might stumble on what that reference may be. But but just to the casual church-going observer, you, 
you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, there you go. But, uh, I mean, this is a guy who's a vacuous jerk, has been a vacuous jerk demonstrably for decades. For 50 years. Right. This he's he's a blowhard. He's a liar. He's a plagiarist. He's a serial plagiarist. He plagiarized in law school. He plagiarized plagiarized uh, Neil Kinnock speeches, including Neil Kinnock's background uh, in the 1987 uh, campaign. Um, I mean, we have all sorts of instances where he tries to square off on people in public <laughs> that disagree with them. I mean, the. The you're a lying dog face pony soldier moment, which was bizarre in 2019, is hardly the only instance of this. Mickey Kaus wrote about the 1987 instance. This is back in 2008 when um, Obama picked him for the uh, for the ticket. This guy's a he was at a campaign stop in Iowa and somebody asked him a, a hard question and he didn't like it and 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 offered to step outside with the guy. Right, right. This is a guy who's basically an idiot and and. 20 pounds of BS in a 10-pound bag, as I have often described Joe Biden. And you don't want that authenticity. The reason why we have the media narrative of empathetic, gentle Joe is to avoid people <laughs> getting a look at the authentic Joe Biden. We saw flashes of the uh, authentic Joe Biden eight days ago in Georgia. We, we've seen, uh, we saw a flash, a, a, a mild flash, really. Honestly, I think, you know, George W. Bush did basically the same thing with Adam Clymer. Um, I mean, that stuff is, that's not meaningful. I'm surprised that John Harris thinks it is. But it's really bad advice to say, oh, what we really need to see is the authentic Joe Biden. The authentic Joe Biden is an incompetent version of Donald Trump. <laughs> he's he's a narcissist. Yes. He's, a, he's a profane uh, idiotic narcissist who's incompetent at his job. And I mean, as much as one it's, can personally dislike Donald, Donald Trump, at least he could Donald do the Trump. job. <laughs> it's Donald Trump without the instincts and accomplishments. Right. Exactly. And I think right. that, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, I don't want Donald Trump in office because he doesn't know how to comport himself. And I want a president that I can respect. I totally get that. And I totally think that that's valid, but don't turn around then and tell me, Oh, but you know what we need to see is is more more of Biden swearing and and cursing people out and um and uh, and you know fulminating angrily on on social media. I mean, we might as well just go back to Donald Trump if that's what you want, because at least Donald Trump knew what he was doing. Yes, good that's, lord, that's exactly right. Um, so we, we're, no, we're, I I go ahead. I'm sorry. Basically. No, I would say we're, we're almost up against it already. Yeah, we? we are. We are. But uh, one thing really quickly before we get to what's coming up on Hugh Hewitt um, uh, for uh, Friday's show. Um, did you see the economic numbers that came out this morning? Uh, I did. Uh, we had a GDP growth in the fourth quarter that was north of 6% or something. 6.9% right? GDP growth. And this is these are inflation. Yeah. these are inflation-adjusted numbers. I have a post that's coming up that it'll be up by the time this podcast drops, uh, which is, I mean, that's a real number. However, it's built on really weak consumer spending, super weak final sales of domestic product. Um, and I think that what you're looking at here is mostly business investment, which is good. And a, and a very unusual export um, uh, boost. Um, exports were up 24.5%. Imports were up 17% in the fourth quarter. Um, and I'm not sure why, because the PCE numbers were kind of weak still. 3.3% growth. Um, so I, I think that, first off, I think you're going to see a little bit of a... Um, uh, a downgrade in in the next revision on Q4 GDP. But I also think that what you're seeing here is inventory restocking to some extent, which is good news in itself in the supply chains. But I'm not sure it signifies what people think it signifies, especially since the context of this was the cratering in 2000, you know, 2020. Um, uh, I, I think that you're coming off of a really low point and you want to see numbers like this. I'm just not sure that we're seeing strength. Look, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that the, the, the average American voter is going to look at that number and say, well, I guess things are going pretty good when everything costs four times what it costs a year ago. Um, that People don't go around uh, pumping gas in and say, boy, I can't, I, I, I can't believe how fortunate I am 
to be able to pump this much gas into my car for this much money just to show how robust the economy is. That's right. not what they're thinking, no. right? Nope. That's not what they're thinking at all. All right. What's coming up on the next Hugh Hewitt show? Well, Representative Michael Waltz is going to be on. Uh, we are going to have... Um, it's actually going to be a, a fairly interesting show. We've got um, uh, several people that are uh, kind of sparky that are going to be on. Jim Banks is going to be on. Uh, Doug Ducey, governor of Arizona, is going to be on. Michael Waltz will do a little movies with our movie critic, Sonny Bunch. And then uh, we will continue to analyze the political scene from the Hillsdale College perspective with uh, – with, um, uh, our guy in the Kirby Center in uh, D.C. Larry Arnold's going to be off for a week, so um, I keep forgetting his name now. Dean um, Wormer? I, I, I can't remember his name. Dean Vernon Wormer. But it'll be a hell dialogue. Um, okay. But Michael Waltz is very much going to be talking about what to do with Ukraine and what we should be doing as far as a response to the buildup and how to arm Ukraine to combat the growing Russia tide. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that um, he is going to be in agreement that we should be arming Ukraine to the teeth, which we're not doing enough of and fast enough now. Um, but all that's going to happen tomorrow on Hugh on Hugh Show. And of course, if you want to see, uh, if you want to see Hugh do the show, you got to join the Universe. H u g h n i v e r s e dot com, the troll free web surfing experience for Hugh Hewitt fans and listeners. I'm a member. I'm I'm also a guest on Dwayne's After Show, which is one of the benefits of being a member of the Universe. If you're not a member of the Universe, you have to listen on the AM radio dial. Dwayne, what should people do if they can't find Hugh on the AM radio dial? Well. I guess you have to go in with uh, to, to a GM's office that uh, is at a station that we belong, and um, you bring in a black female with you because apparently that's the first prerequisite of any kind of convincing you need to do any any kind of candidate um, in order to convince people that uh, this is the right person for for the job. You've got to go in there with a black female, and that should be enough to convince any GM to bring us on, right? Uh, I was actually going to suggest that you have to walk in and swear a lot and insult people and and uh, talk curse about out the GM, curse out the, curse GM. out the GM, got to curse out the GM. And you've got to and you've got to talk about your the, the Hummers they're building at that Ford plant in Dearborn, um, because that's apparently the, <laughs> the winning strategy. <laughs> um, but if that doesn't work, you can go to HughHewitt.com and listen to the audio stream there. Or, or you bring Anthony Fauci with you, and you say, if you don't put us on, I'm going to have Anthony Fauci vaccinate every one of your four-year-old kids. That's what I'm going to do. Well, if you want more on that, you have to listen to Dwayne's After Show. Uh, and Dwayne is going to talk about that topic, I think, at more length. Uh, we talked about it last night. I'm sure you're going to talk about it at more length tonight. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, in the universe. That's when the after show starts. Dwayne Gentilissimo Patterson, thanks for being with us today. And welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me today, my good friend, A.J. Kaufman from PJMedia.com. My Salem colleague, my town hall colleague. Uh, now and uh, doing his own thing, as it were, over at uh, PJ, over at Instapundit and PJ Media. Um, AJ has a bold set of predictions for 2022. And I, I have to first off say that I don't think that, um, and I know I'm giving the game away here a bit, AJ, but I, I'm not sure that uh, Kamala Harris continuing to lash out with the vice of nonsense is really a bold prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, to some people it might be, uh, I'm sure she does have 35% approval, so they might be surprised. Uh, I, I would not know. It would not come as a surprise to me if that continued. No, to 12 months. no, but I mean, you, you did something more than I did. I, I really, honestly, I'm, I'm not doing predictions anymore. I just, I don't do resolutions and I stopped doing predictions because, uh, I don't know. I just think that maybe, um. Maybe it maybe satire maybe political satire is dead because politicians keep proving to be sort of self satirizing 
But uh, but you seem to still want to do these. And I actually really enjoyed your piece over at PGA Media. And, of course, we're going to link it in the show post. But uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about, first off, why why you th- why you're still making predictions even after the last crazy two years I, I don't think i've ever made predictions so i have that going for me i really don't i don't make resolutions and i don't think i've made predictions and <laughs> these came about uh when did this publish published in the yeah these came about literally on, on new year's eve i was sitting around um you know watching meaningless college football or, or news or whatever was going on and i said you know i should put together five i believe i called them fearless predictions uh, maybe fearful would have been better for the new year. And um, they're qu- pretty short. Um, there is some sarcasm in them. And, you know, I, I don't think I went out on a limb too much in any of them. And judging by a perusal of the comments, uh, only one of them really got people to question uh, question my predictions. And even then it was kind of a vague, a vague anger or questioning. Uh, but, um, yeah, there were five and they were pretty short. They are actually pretty short, and I, I would almost argue that one of them is already starting to come true. I mean, um, number one, number one, yeah, number one. I mean, the, the Omicron variant. You know, as as we're talking about this, uh, you know, and, and you know, obviously we're doing pre-records now, so these are going to come out a little bit later on. But as we're talking about it, it's the first Monday in January, and we're seeing cases spike way the hell up. And if if there's anything true about epidemiology and math, it's that the higher the spike, the higher the fall. I mean, and more rapid the fall. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a a statistical model that's bound for a, a very short run. So, I mean, I think that um, I mean, this is a pretty safe prediction. I think is that the Omicron uh, variant is going to run through all of the population across the United States, probably just in the next, you know, three four weeks. Yeah. It's widespread. It's everywhere. Um, I don't know that every American will get it. I don't know that half the Americans will get it. But you start hearing more people in the pundit class and the media class, the political class getting it. It it seems to become more acceptable amongst those people also. They used to be, at least best I recall, used to be whenever someone would get Omicron, excuse me, anyone would get coronavirus, COVID, you'd hear, oh, they must be an unvaccinated redneck. They must be a denier. They must be someone in a red state. And now that you know we see everyone getting it, it seems like, or at least a good percentage of the ruling class, um, people are like, "Yeah, it's going to happen." It may not, and it may not last very long, and it may peak in the next two weeks in certain parts of the country, probably the Northeast, maybe here in the Upper Midwest. Um, but the hospitalizations—if you read through even some New York Times articles, there's some evidence that these hospitalizations are not really as high as people say they are or the number you hear of 92% or whatever is actually normal for this time of year. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm certainly far from anyone who's gonna deny science and data, but people aren't really dying. Deaths are down, um, still too many per day, but those deaths are mostly not from Omicron. Um, no, we- Delta is still circulating too. I mean, that's right. something that we yeah. have to remember is that Delta is still circulating. Omicron does appear to crowd it out. So if you get to Omicron, if you get exposed to Omicron first, you're a lot less likely to develop Delta, apparently, at least according to the data that we're seeing out of South Africa. And I think in part the UK on that as well. But um, yeah. but but it's still circulating in the United States. The reason why you've got the, the high hospitalization uh, utilization in the uh, Northeast right at the yes. moment is because that's Delta that's mostly been circulating up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we can expect this to be, you know, fairly... Um, uh, you know, uh, you can see this decoupling already taking place. And so I think the more that Omicron spreads, the more you're going to see deaths and hospitalizations really start to plunge as well. I think so, too. And you can just think about all the athletes you see listed as having COVID and all these games that are being canceled. Then you hear General or Secretary Austin has it or a certain media pundit you listen to has it and they're gone for two weeks. And then they come back or, or a senator even elderly senators and they're back and no one, and they don't die. Now, obviously I know that 820,000 people or whatever have died in the U S so no one's making light of that. And that's a caveat we should always include, but right. You also have to look at comorbidities. I, I read something the other day, maybe it was today. Things run together that two thirds of the teens that are hospitalized and most teens don't get hospitalized um, had severe obesity, not just obesity, but severe obesity. So when you see a story that says an 11 year old boy died, heaven forbid, and then you find out that he's 320 pounds, you know, there's there's reasons some, some of these things happen. Um, underlying 
situations. So the fear mongering is continuing, but Fauci was on yesterday. There, there's a little contradiction in some of what they're saying, but they're starting to admit some things that Omicron does appear to be causing milder illness, um, certainly in children I've read, and, and certainly most likely in adults as we continue to wait for this. Um, the holiday season certainly increases the likelihood of transmission. So I think yep. two weeks from now, we'll have a lot better idea because people are just getting back uh, from large gatherings and uh, they, they, the virus might have spread during those times for sure. Well, and I think the key here too is that we now know that uh, the vaccinated are vectors for transmission on Omicron. Yes. We're pretty sure that that's true with Delta too, actually. Uh, but we're it's certain that, it's, that Omicron. So there's vaccination status doesn't really have anything to do with it. It does have to do with how much either one is going to impact your health, though, which is the reason why you should be vaccinated. You should be boosted is because people who are vaccinated and boosted have far lower hospitalization rates and almost zero deaths um, as opposed to the people who are unvaccinated. And uh, that's one of the tools out there. You got to take advantage of those tools. But um, but that's the reason why I think that this thing's going to spread like wildfire across the entire United States. And I think eventually over the next few weeks, all of us are going to come into contact with it. Most of us probably won't ever know that we came into contact with it. And um, I think I think it's going to basically burn out the pandemic aspect of COVID-19. And after that, we're going to have to shift to the endemic uh, response. Zero COVID is dead either way. There's no such thing as zero COVID. There that isn't going to be a death in the beginning. Uh, it should have been. COVID. Yeah. Now, the question of whether or not you need to be boosted if you're under 50 or 60, you know, I, I don't know if that's I'm not an anti-vax person. and I'm not an obsessive pro-vax person who runs out the first day. Uh, you know, that's that's questionable. I think if you're relatively healthy, no comorbidities and you're under 50, I think it's certainly up to you. I don't think you should be pushed into a booster, but it certainly wouldn't hurt you to get the booster. Um, and I don't know what the percentage is now. What is it? 30% of Americans have gotten boosted, 35, something like that. Um, I don't think you're going to see that get above 50, um, even with the major spread the next two weeks. Right. I, don't, I don't think it's going to get much above 50 um, because people also are concerned about whether well, they need another one in, in April and then in July. And, you know, certain people will get them every day. I, we know people who would like to get one every day at 9 a.m. They would like to get a COVID shot. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know people. I know people. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> They're, they, they, I agree. They, they're, they're waiting for the fourth and fifth breathlessly. That's all they're concerned about. And uh, so yeah. that's one it's the other extreme. Well, anyway, I think that that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, let's go to, let's go to predi um, prediction number two. And I think we can dispense with the spoiler alerts here. I mean, by the time that, uh, by the time we get a chance to air this, this will have been up for a while. So, I mean, I think we can talk through all five of your predictions here. The February Beijing Olympics. You know who's not calling it the Beijing Olympics, AJ? Me. No, NBC is not oh. calling it. I was watching um, the I was watching the the football game on Sunday night. Uh, that oh, was yeah. the yeah yeah that was the the Packers and that really close oh so dramatic uh, game against the, the, the Minnesota the Minneapolis St. Paul Vikings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I I I don't mean to I don't mean to uh, to rub salt in the wounds. But basically, the commercials were the only thing that was really worth uh, watching during that game. I, I watched it off it anyway. of the first quarter. <laughs> well, you were smarter than I was. Um, I had a migraine, and it was just really e easier to just leave it on there because I didn't yeah. want to have to intellectually engage with anything. But the one thing I noticed <laughs> was that NBC was promoting, you know, the Winter Olympics are coming up. The Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics. The Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics. Guess who's going to be at the Winter Olympics? Um, guess where the Winter Olympics are going to be held? You wouldn't have known it except for this little tiny um, little logo at the bottom corner of the <laughs> of the screen. It said Beijing. Um, NBC is really trying to debrand China off of these Olympics. I, I find this amusing as hell. Yeah, Bob Costas was on a podcast, a conservative podcast, a couple weeks ago with Jim Garrity. Um, and uh, he's pretty down in the Olympics. Now, he's not involved this year, I don't believe. So it's easier for him to say yep. that. But he seems to be pretty upset with the IOC for granting it to Beijing. And uh, seemingly, without saying it, upset that, you know, NBC is 
going gung-ho for it though are they really going gung-ho i mean it starts in a month and it's limited advertising when there is like you said they're, they're not talking about where it is and they're focusing on an athlete here or there but my prediction was just that you know the genocide games as i call them i don't know if i made that up myself but i've been calling it that will be a fiasco of illness and, I, and people will get sick i hope hopefully not seriously controversy that's already occurred and record low television ratings as the liberal West appeases the communist thugs. I mean, not everyone in the liberal West, but um, I, I, I don't know anybody who's interested in this. I know a few people who watch the Olympics every four years. They tend to like the Summer Olympics better. And when it comes to the Winter Olympics, outside of some things like curling and skiing that people up here in the North enjoy, uh, there's a lack of interest and, and there's no men's hockey. I mean, there is, but they're not using the NHL players. They, they backed out of a week or two ago the NHL did because they've lost so many games to COVID during the year. They can't afford to have a three week shutdown like they were planning. So it's going to be pretty bad. Uh, China's still going to get a propaganda victory over it. They're still going to make money off it. They're still going to get a chance to display in their opening and closing ceremonies, whatever they display as we've seen in the past. Um, it's, but I, you know, I'll pass. Well, do you think they're going to go off at all? I mean, that's sort of my question to you is that, you know, with this Omicron wave, China's busy locking down entire provinces again. I, I would argue, to... I would argue though, that that's because they know their vaccines don't work. Oh Which, yeah. Right. I mean, they don't work. Sinopharm and Sinovac don't work. The UAE tried them out. Chile tried them out. They don't but work. Ed, but Ed, they only have 4,300 deaths in a country of over a billion. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 4,300. That's, that's fewer than in the state of, you know, Minnesota. What was it? What was it last week they were claiming that they'd only identified nine cases of Omicron? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, last sure. now, now they're up to 19. Yeah, sure, pal. Yeah, you betcha. Um, I don't think they talk like that. <laughs> no. Not, they don't even talk like that in Minnesota. Come on, guys. I mean, we just like to, we, you know, well, I'm not, it's not we any longer. I'm down here in Texas, no. but. If you, go far enough, if you go far enough north to some of the small towns, you, you'll hear it occasionally. You will hear it occasionally, but not we just mostly like to, you know, Minnesotans just mostly like to play with the tourists. Yes, with that stuff. So, you know, yeah, AJ can tell you all about that. But um, I mean, do you think that this could derail the games? Do you think that athletes, and let me put it to you this way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to talk about, you know, clearly governments don't want to boycott. I actually think it's a stupid idea to do, a boy, to do that kind of a boycott, keeping your athletes from going. We tried it in 1980, didn't do a damn bit of and good. We discussed that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually am fine with the idea of a diplomatic boycott. Because at least it's something, again, it's sort of impotent, but it, you're not. Very impotent. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole thing's impotent, right? I mean, but, uh, you know, at least you're not interfering with the athlete's ability to, to you know, compete. But here's the thing. <laughs> with Omicron, you've got this wildly uh, transmissible variant and there's all sorts of quarantining and, and travel restrictions on people who test positive. You're looking at a situation where people might be stranded for weeks <laughs> if they come in contact with this variant. And even though they're not really, there's no real risk to their health or anybody else's health that comes in contact with them, except for the extremely obese, the very elderly, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just is a matter of practicality. Can these games go off or will they end up getting, the, you know, Tokyo'd? Well, Tokyo's went off. They just didn't have any fans, right? Well, it was a year um, later, right? <laughs> oh, right. They, right. They were supposed to be in 2020. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, they probably would have had to already decide that is my guess. But, you know, there certainly may not be fans. And yeah, I wrote about this, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the, the concern about um, when I was writing about China's dishonest COVID numbers, the concern about athletes who go there and have to quarantine for two, three, four, five weeks uh, during and after the Olympics. That's, um, <laughs> you know, they can catch the virus when they're there. They can be told they have the virus. And if there are new variants emerging, will the communist government even tell us before it's too late? Yeah. So uh, it, it's it's a problem. I, I would, I've certainly, if my brother, son, daughter, whatever was an Olympian, I wouldn't be sending him to China at this point, much less because of China's appalling human rights records, but also what's going on in the world with the virus. So I right. think it's all a problem. Um, and, and I just, I hope it all works out, frankly, for, 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 for the Olympians and for the world, not so much for China. I don't really care if, if they do have a great or not. Well, so. same here. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to skip over number four, just go to number five briefly. Um, this is part of that, uh, that oh so bold prediction that Kamala Harris was going to lash out with divisive nonsense. Um, but the other half of that, I think, is a, also a pretty safe bet, AJ, which is that uh, the White House's inexcusable apathy will cause the U.S. Mexico border to remain a sieve. Yeah, I mean, only for brief periods in the last, I don't know, 40 years. <laughs> and, well, beyond that, really. Has it not been a sieve? I mean, really, right? But the, but, the, but the numbers, the numbers, you know, at least the, the highest in, in fifteen or yeah. twenty or twenty-five years, yes. and they're, I think they go up in the, don't they go up this time of year because it's not as hot down at the border? I believe um, that that's correct. Yes, February, March. So you know, I think Alejandro Mayorkas is, you know, in a in a cabinet of many, many, many incompetent people. I think he's clearly the worst, um, both as a communicator, as a, as a figure in policy. Uh, like to get rid of, I think he should go away. I think even Jay Johnson, as we've talked about from Obama's era, was far better. It would have been far better. I don't assume Biden would replace him with any kind of Republican or, or someone who's a little more hawkish, but Biden's fired, fired nobody. I mean, there's not one person who's lost their job in any, as far as I know, except for people who've been denied, um, you know, during the hearings of getting a job, like the communist lady from Moscow State and such. But, you know, with all the problems we've had in Afghanistan, with all the problems had at the border, not to mention supply chain, no one's lost their job. But I think Mallorca should be the first to fall on his sword um, and hopefully have a replacement that's better. And no, Kamala is, I mean, that was, she didn't want that role. She has no interest in it, which is kind of sad, but um, she's, she's not going to do anything for the border because, you know, we're not conspiratorial here, but I don't think Democrats really care. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. I, I, there's not much to say about this. I mean, I think that the situation of the border is going to continue exactly as it is because this is a this is an administration of incompetence, uh, starting at the top, uh, and Kamala Harris is just the number two incompetent, and it's the top incompetent that is setting the tone for everybody else, and that isn't changing in 2022. So yeah, I think that's a, a pretty safe bet. But let's go to the one real bet that you're placing here which is what happens in the midterms. Now, this is bold. I, I have to say that predicting the midterm outcome in January is pretty bold. And oh, so- people, people have been predicting them since last January, some people. <laughs> they're bold too, but I mean, yeah. uh, but but I think you make, you, you raise a very interesting point here. One that sometimes gets missed in all of the talk about polling and trends and, you know, uh, historical, uh, you know, historical trends and that sort of thing. Uh, you're predicting that Republicans are going to reclaim the House easily. I, I, I think that that's a very safe bet. Um, just structurally, they should be able to do that. But you're saying that you don't think that Republicans can retake the Senate. And I'm actually, I started off being skeptical of that just because of the numbers. I mean, Republicans are defending uh, several more seats than the Democrats are, and they've got five retirements. But, you know, they're going to have to start over with a non-incumbent in those races. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can kind of go along with you on that. But I've actually gotten a little bit more optimistic about it in the last few weeks based on Joe Biden's standing in some of these states. I mean, yeah. he's underwater by double digits in the states that you're talking about. Arizona, Georgia, Ohio, North Carolina and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. I think he's underwater by nine points. Um, we, we talk about this in a vacuum, though. It's 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 one of those yeah. things. Cable news clips. They're going to take the House. They're going to take the Senate. Or the, or the, but no one ever talks about the actual states. And when they talk about the states, and I didn't do it here because I just wanted to put something out there and see if people got started talking about it. Right. The candidates. I mean, how many people even know who the forget the Republican options? Who the Democrats are running in some of these states? You know, we know in Georgia and Arizona because they're incumbents, but in Ohio. In North Carolina, in Pennsylvania, like in Wisconsin, who are the Democrats running? I mean, the people don't know that. Um, if the Democrats run people like Tim Ryan, who I, we've talked about is not as moderate as he says, but has that moderate appeal because he's from Youngstown, Ohio, which is a swing area. If they run Connor Lamb, who I believe is running in Pennsylvania, that gives the Republicans a much, much tougher road to hoe. Yep. Ohio, I was in Ohio for 10 days during my full December on the road trip that I just got back from. And the Republicans have problems in Ohio. And I know people forget that Barack Obama won the state twice. They forget that Sherrod Brown, who's very far left, 
has won re-election there several times. You you would think that running the the JD Vance, Josh Mandel, young populist crowd would work, but I couldn't find anybody who's excited about those guys. And I was talking to people from suburban areas of Columbus and Cleveland to rural parts of, of Eastern Ohio. And no one's excited about those two guys. And the other candidates, there's a Bernie Moreno, a businessman. Some of them are, you know, some of them will be called rhinos because they're not right wing enough. Whereas J.D. Vance, who's a populist, is right wing, but he's really not because he's actually a big government guy. They've got major problems in Ohio, the Republicans. And that's a state they certainly can't afford to lose because we're already assuming that Pennsylvania and Wisconsin will be very hard to keep just because they're blue states. Let's be honest. Yes, Trump won Wisconsin once and then he lost. Wisconsin has a very liberal governor, a very liberal other senator, and Ron Johnson is not, I'm sorry if anyone's listening who loves him, and I know people love him, I like certain things about him, he's not going to win in Wisconsin. He's just too far right and too abrasive and has had too many conspiratorial comments, in my opinion, to win. I hope he does, but he also may not run. We still have, He's got to decide, by the way, in the next few weeks, I would think. Next couple of weeks, really, if they're going to draft a, you know, you're going to have to draft a, a a candidate to replace him. I mean, right now there aren't any Republicans stepping up because they don't want to. They don't want to. You, know who, I, you know who I would like to see run. I think he'd, he'd win. Scott is, Walker. Is Mike, Mike, well, and Mike Gallagher, the congressman from Green Bay, yes. who's a, a star. Yep, he'd be very um, good. He'd be very good. Yes, Walker would be good too, but he is a little polarizing because he obviously was governor for quite a while, and he may turn out people on the left. Um, well, look, he but, won three elections for two terms. And... He did. He did, and he should have won last time. Frankly, <laughs> should have won almost... last time too. Yeah. So that would be interesting. I don't I don't know what he's, you know, like anyone else, just like Paul Ryan, speaking of Wisconsin and others, he's just out there kind of giving speeches and making money and doing whatever he's doing. I'm sure he would run if he was asked or drafted, but it's going to be tough. I think people don't look at the states. Um, on the other hand, the positive, like you said, Biden's underwater in a lot of these places. And we haven't even talked about Nevada and New Hampshire, which are right. Democrat states that they have to hold. Well, and in Nevada, Arizona. In Arizona, too. Yeah, I mean, in Arizona, Mark, right. You know, Arizona, Georgia, um, I, I, you know, I think it's going to end up being Purdue running in Georgia. And he's one Purdue, state. Wait, Purdue is running for governor, though. I'm sorry. You're right. Purdue's running for governor. Who was it that was going to run for senator? Well, Herschel Walker. And, and there's another uh, African-American fellow. Oh, Vernon, and, uh, Vernon Jones. Oh, Vernon Jones is also another guy who I wrote about who's a military veteran who's black, who's early 40s. And there's another uh, Marine Corps veteran who worked for Trump who uh lackland starts with an l I, latham sadler i think his name is they have some good yes. candidates but yes but the the entertainment wing if you will the populist wing trump and others want herschel walker and i you know i i understand why but i and i have very smart friends who think walker is the best option and and i just i don't see it i don't I, see uh it. i i'm kind of with you on that not that i dislike herschel walker um but i am leery of of entertainment options um i'd rather have you know like winsome sears was not an entertainment option no, she was a legitimate she was a, a serious woman <laughs> serious woman and that worked out great in virginia and i wish that people would remember she was running her. for lieutenant governor a little different obviously than yeah, but still a statewide her. election and she was running as basically they don't really run as running mates in virginia right, they don't. but but it kind of is sort of that way uh regardless of how you think about it or regardless of how it actually is, it's kind of usually uh, the fortunes of one are tied to the other. And, yes, it's, and so, uh, Kelvin King, by the way, is the other black guy who's running um, yep. as a Republican. That's right. Very impressive. Much more impressive than Herschel Walker, frankly. Uh, also a football player, by the way, in college. And uh, Latham Sadler is the other gentleman who's also a young guy. So I like all those guys, frankly, better than Should Walker. be a good primary. Should be a good primary in Georgia. I mean, at least. Should be a good primary. They've, and, they've got options. And Nevada has, I assume, Adam Laxalt. You've heard the name for many years. He was sure. attorney general, was he? A, a, yeah, it is. I mean, Laxalt's were, they're famous, politically, right. very fa famous political. Paul Laxalt was a senator for what? I don't many know. years. Many years, yeah, several terms. So, yeah, yeah, I think you know Nevada went from when maybe a month ago went from there was a poll a month ago where they moved all these states. I think Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada were the three from lean Democrat to toss up, and um, Nevada was on that list, and that kind of caught people's attention. And in Nevada, you know, I'm sure, like you said, Biden's approval numbers are probably not that great, and it's still a predominantly white state. I mean, it's, Latino would be the number two. Right, yeah. But outside of Vegas, it's a pretty conservative state. Not that there's a huge population. Libertarian. 
It's more of a libertarian state. Right. Well, they're not and, voting for Democrats, libertarian in, in Nevada, no, no. out west. Um, so we'll see. We'll see there in New Hampshire. We have to get a candidate because obviously uh, the governor Sununu and former Senator Ayat uh, decided not to run. And Scott Brown, who we talked about a month ago, he put that to bed pretty quickly. He's not running. Yep. Uh, his wife is running though for House, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That broke today, actually. Um, and out in Arizona, I'll tell you. I had I happened to be in Arizona and Ohio for my trip, coincidentally, and the people I talked to, I talked to a lot of retirees where my parents live, uh, Republicans, and mostly very conservative Republicans, some of them very involved in the Republican Party of Arizona, some of them not, but all conservatives, all voted for Trump, um, but all of them, except for one who was wishy-washy, said they we need to move on from trump in 2024 yeah and i'm not i don't need to get into that because we've all had people talk to us about that but they all were big trump supporters who said move on and when it came to the senate they all except for one agreed that um mark well they all agreed mark kelly has become a rubber stamp for biden and that's very disappointing and they need to get rid of him but they all pretty much said no kelly ward no one from that far right wing of the party or conspiracy wing i'd call it have already lost but they, none of them knew who was going to run. They all were like, well, we could run Co Congressman Lasko, who's a female congressman from their area. We could, they started talking about their congressman, but they don't really have a strong candidate in Arizona yet to run. There's a right, retired right. general who might run or is running. Um, but yeah, that's it's very winnable seat, obviously, but you got to have a candidate. You do. And that's the missing piece. And I mean, that's the point of your of your prediction is that we're talking a lot about polling. We're talking about a lot about Joe Biden. We're talking a lot about historical trends and all those, all those things actually still do matter, but you have to have a functioning um, opposition party on the ground and you have to have a candidate that can actually win an election. And I don't know why it's so hard to understand that. <laughs> well, uh... especially after, especially after the 2010 tea party cycle and to a certain extent, the 2012 one as well. <laughs> we put up some, we put up a couple of humdingers in those cycles that oh, you know, the, had lost seats that we should have won. Todd Aiken, Christine O'Donnell crowd. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. <laughs> Sharon Engel, Todd Aiken, Christine O'Donnell. Look, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think the Todd Aiken one was the, was the worst choice. Um, in a red state. In a red state, no less. Yeah. Um, yeah. He just died, didn't he recently? Very recently. Oh, I, I hadn't heard that. Well, then rest yeah. in peace. I mean, I don't, I, you know, it's, not, there, there's no need to. wasn't that old a man. I think, I think it was maybe a month or two ago. He died, yeah, 70 years old or so. He died. Yeah. yeah, no need to flog a day. You know, no need to flog that then. But I mean, the, the issue there is what happens when you get a bad candidate in a, in a Senate race and in something where you're going to, where there's going to have Senate. national implications. Yeah is that it damages the whole party, especially if you're Republican. If it's a Democrat, the media doesn't cover it the same way. I And I call this the Todd Aiken rule, is that if you say something stupid and you're Republican, then every other Republican candidate has to answer. Have to comment on it, right, right. Yeah, the media will ask you uh, to comment on it. If, it. if if it's a Democrat that says something stupid, they don't do that with other Democratic candidates. Um, no, no one asked them to comment on Ilhan Omar and those, those people, right? Nope, <laughs> nope, you never hear that from from media outlets so well i'll tell you what i think i'm, tr I'm trying to find where i wrote about this briefly about the about electable candidates because i had this talk with kyle hooten of alpha news who was saying just run the most you know radical populist candidates and i said that's great but they don't win and certain you can run them in wyoming and alabama but you can't run them in suburban columbus ohio or, right. or nevada and um i can't find the article but the point is <laughs> Republicans in 2014 did very well because they ran, they figured things out from the mistakes of 2012 and 2010 and McConnell got the right candidates. And, you know, you may not like Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Mitt Romney, but they're going to vote Republican more often than any Democrat is. Yep. I had a conversation today with someone who said, oh, I, I like Manchin more than Romney. And I said, well, okay, I'm, an, I'm glad Manchin did what he did. But Mitt Romney still has a stronger Republican voting record than Joe Manchin. Right. <laughs> so, and that's not going to, and, and they may like Manchin. They may think he's braver than Romney. But Susan Collins, for example, won her race by 11 points in a state that Trump lost by 10 or 11, yeah. whatever it was. So, you know, Larry Hogan, you may not like him. He's very, you know, very anti-Trump liberal Republican. But if he runs for Senate in deep blue Maryland and has an outside chance, yeah. that's better than anything I'm else. Ba I'll back him. I'll, I'll cheer him on. I mean, right. I remember what happened to Norm Coleman when the National Party yeah. turned its back on Norm Coleman. That was before the Tea Party. So it wasn't even, I mean, these purity tests, 
-hmm. are insane in marginal states. And I'm talking about both parties. In marginal states, right. Yeah. I don't care again. Wyoming, Alabama, I don't have at it. But boy, I tell you, the hatred for Larry Hogan, I just wrote an article mentioning he might run. And it was like I'd written about Adolf Hitler. And I'm like, okay, first of all, the guy is a Republican. You may not agree with him on every issue, but he's probably more conservative than, than Joe Manchin in Kirsten Cinema. Yep. And he may not win for Senate, but he's won twice in a deep blue state as governor. So, you know, and if he, if he won, and, and he's he'd vote about, against Biden. And look, he's governed about as conservatively in Maryland as you're ever going to get in Maryland. I mean, this was the whole thing with Mike Castle in Delaware. Remember, that's why we got Christine O'Donnell is because Mm. she challenged him in the primary because he wasn't Tea Party. And that's great if you can win a general election. If not, then really, honestly, you should back off. And um, I prefer to win. I prefer to win. I mean, Mike DeWine and and, and the guy in Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, these guys are more liberal than most Republicans I like, but they also win in blue and purple states. Yep. Yeah, you have to you have to nominate the most. That was William F. Buckley's thing. Nominate Correct. the most conservative candidate who can actually win. Because <laughs> that was the rule back good. in 2016, and that's why people didn't want Trump. And I, I admit right. I didn't think Trump was going to win. I didn't either. But, so, but if I had known he was going to win, then I'd say, who cares if he's a populist and a big government guy? Um, so beats Hillary Clinton. Right. <laughs> So in essence, said I'll just for our, for our listeners, um, the Republicans need to hold all their states, which is going to be tough to do. But that would include Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, right. North Carolina. Going to be tough. But if they hold all those, they're just going to pick up one seat, and that could happen in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, or New Hampshire. I Probably agree. I agree. I agree. Well, we're going to leave it there because that we've actually exhausted AJ's list. But AJ is going to be coming back regularly here on the newly revamped Ed Morrissey show for the podcasts. And okay. uh, AJ, I want to thank you so much. It was oh, It's always great talking to you. Happy New Year to you. And uh, let's look forward to a, a lot of these conversations in 2022. Oh, yeah. I look forward to it, Ed. Thank you.